Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Uh, hey, welcome Grape Top Online. Glad y'all could be a part. Um, we are continuing our series, The Agony of Worship, and my heart in this series is to really show that worship is far beyond just singing songs and having emotional moments. These emotional moments with God are important, but worship is a devoted lifestyle and it filled with many hard choices. And I pray that throughout this series, you would not only feel more compelled to engage during the songs of worship, but to engage all of your life to being a living worship to God. Today we're going to start our series uh, start today's message with the title No One Like Me. No one like me. There's no one like you. There's no one like me. And we're going to read chapter 1 of the book of Job. And I and I just want to preface that we're going to read the whole chapter because I feel like it gives a really good um, it really gives so much surrounding the character Job. And Job is one is almost like a mysterious story that that's believed that it was written. Uh, it was it was written before Moses was ever born. Um, the the author of this book is unknown, and this person Job is just like this mysterious mysterious scene that we see. And a lot of people kind of know a little bit about the story, but not the details of the story. And I just want to share in chapter one. It starts by saying, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. So it's painting this picture of this just like really great, successful man. Um, that feared God, was a good, righteous person, and was very successful. Had a lot of kids, too. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one, of his, uh, each one on his day. And they would send word and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send word to them and consecrate them, getting up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So uh, Job did so continually. What this is showing is that not only is he a, a God-fearing man for himself, but he cares deeply for his children to where uh, when a time where sacrifices were made, he's not just bringing them to church, but he's making the sacrifices for them, saying, Just in case my kids are close from God, let me pray and intercede for them. Um, goes on to say, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So now we're entering this eternal place, this heavenly place. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the, the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. I want us to just take a moment to understand the thoughts that God has about his people. They're not thoughts of uh, 
what we usually imagine God to be is this mean, like principal, always wanting to get us into trouble. This 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 uh, cruel boss that's just waiting for us to mess up so we could get fired. This vengeful God that's just waiting to slam dunk us to hell. And yet we see the way that God talks about Job. He sees his, uh, he sees the good and the gold in his people, not all of the ugly stains that we imagine him to think of. And to know that he not only thinks so highly of you, but he talks highly of you too. That, I mean, I don't know how it is like when, like a, a heavenly mixer, you know? <laughs> I don't know what kind of cocktails they have, but in this, this, this scene, we see these angels coming up to God. Satan is among them, and he says, Have you ever con- have you considered, have you seen Job while you're there on earth? Where I sent you, do you see this servant of mine? How righteous he is, and it goes on to say, then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear, does Job feel fear God for nothing? Have you not made a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and increase in the land. But reach out with your hand and now and touch all that he has. He will certainly curse you to his face. So Satan is is really playing the devil's advocate saying the only reason he's so righteous and good the only reason he serves you is because you made his life so easy on earth you he doesn't even need to get to heaven he has it right there on earth but if you take that away he'll curse you to your face goes on to say then the lord said to satan behold all that he has is in your power only do not reach out and put your hand on him so satan departed from the presence of the lord now on that day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the female donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians, Sabians attacked and took them. They also killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up all the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three units and made a raid on the camels and took them and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine. In their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck all four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to, to tell you. So pause here for a moment. Everything that possibly could go wrong went wrong in a single day, in a single moment. And he's not he's receiving bad news upon worse news upon the worst news. And everything is just this agonizing result of, if you ever think about your worst fears, things that would keep you up at night, and you just tell yourself, oh, that would never happen. I need to just not think about that. All of those fears happened to Job in a single day. Every single fear he could think of attacked him and all in one moment. And when you were to think, if you've ever thought to yourself, if that would happen, I would just lose it. Have you ever uh, played those scenarios in your head? I remember times where I, I would I would think to myself, if something ever happened to my wife, I would just I would just go back to alcohol. I would I would lose myself and and just thinking that I wouldn't have anywhere else to turn. I would feel so desperate and lost. And I would have to build myself back up and God say, No, God is still good and He would bring me out of it. But 
when I think about the rawness of what I would experience, it would be dark places and dark times. And you were to think, how would I react? The way that Job reacts is in, in verse 20. And it says, then Job got up, tore his robe and shaved his head. And then he fell to the ground and worshiped. This is a moment where I want us to resonate. It says that he got up, tore his robe and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground in worship. It almost seems like it's so easy to just see this neutral person walking up, getting up, shaving his head, like all just with a straight face. I want you to imagine, use your imagination for a moment. Getting up, pacing back and forth, going through the doubts, like, no, it can't be possible. No, it's not. Going through the stages of denial, of anger, going through all of those expressions and it says when he tore his robe, that's moments where he's realizing that it's all true. It's all real. And he's just ripping his, his robe off and he's just not even able to contain himself. And the moment that he shaves his head, have you ever, <laughs> girls have done this a lot in high school. I, I'm not trying to like pick on anyone, but were you ever just so upset in high school where you just looked in the mirror crying and you got your hair and just started cutting it? No? I remember, I remember hearing, seeing girls do that. Like, dude, what's wrong? Like, like, I just feel ugly, so I'm going to look ugly. It's like, dude, chill. <laughs> but this is a moment where he's, in a sense, like, like cutting away at himself. Cutting away at himself. He's, he's putting this outward expression of how he feels inside. He feels empty, alone. And then he fell to the ground and worshipped. It's like after going through the motions of like wanting to hit the walls, wanting to, to throw things he just gets on the ground and worship. And it goes on to say, He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Despite all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. You know, this. I picked this specific translation, the NASB 2020, because it breaks apart this, this last verse. If you read in like the NLT, it'll say, and Job did not sin uh, and was still blameless before God. It, and what this verse shows is that when you break it up, it says that he did not sin, nor did he blame God. It makes it two separate things because one is a reaction that we would normally have is sin. Like I said earlier that when I used to think about things, I would just go back to this, I would just go crazy. I would, I would look for anything that used to be my old man and probably go to it and just drown myself because I would be hurting so much. But it says that Job didn't do that. He did not sin. He didn't go to evil or the, the temporary pleasures of this world to try to escape this reality. And it says, nor did he blame God. That's a really important thing to resonate on because this is what leaves a lot of people questioning uh, in this story is, did God send this trouble? Did the devil, but God permitted it? And there's this big like back and forth of like, where did this trouble come from? Where did this evil come from? And why was it allowed? And this part where it says, nor did he blame God. How many times have you to yourself, not trying to tell anyone to raise hands, did something bad happen to you? And you cursed God in your heart. You blamed him in your heart. Maybe out loud in your prayers. Like, of course you would do this. Yes. 
There you go again, God. I remember a moment when I was super broke and I was working uh, only commission job and that the commission I was counting on to come through, I, I was like, I'll be able to pay our electricity, our car payment. It was already going somewhere. It wasn't like, oh, like I'm going to be raining in money. <laughs> like going to be raining electricity by turning the lights off. and <laughs> No one needs a fan right now. And I remember getting up in the morning that the check was supposed to hit and checking my, my commission sales portal, checking my email and saw that there was a, an error in the equipment and I was actually receiving a negative commission check. I was saying I owed $20 rather than receiving $750. And I, I remember I was, it was before, uh, I think we, I think Joy had just been born. So that was like a little added stress. And she was asleep, and I was just there, and Lauren's like, what's wrong? I was like, mm. I was like, like wanting to scream and shout and like throw something, but I was like, but she's asleep. And so I was just rolling there, like writhing in emotional pain, like anger. And Lauren's like, babe, are you okay? Are you okay? And I remember in my head just, just cursing God. Just because I was so angry, I was trying so hard. And the minute that I did, I felt like the Holy Spirit in such a soft whisper said, it, it reminded me of the story of Job and all that he experienced, he did not, he did not curse God. It's just like that story came to my mind. And I thought to myself, well, that didn't take very much. Mm-hmm. I thought I was so strong in my faith, so on fire, so passionate. And I just had a moment to realize that didn't take very, very much. I want us to go into our first point. Now that we understand this, this initial background of Job, our first point is choice over circumstance. Choice over circumstance. Worship should be a response to your circumstance, whether good or bad. Worship should be a response to your circumstance, whether good or bad. It is so easy to assume that people we see so freely worshiping God. Have you ever experienced that where you've been in a church service and there's somebody that's just like going at it during worship? They're just like, yeah, they're like swaying. And you're like, they're, they're, maybe they're jumping. You're like, who jumps? <laughs> and, and they just seem so into it. And it's so easy to assume that the reason that they're so freely worshiping God is because their life must have been easy. Their life must have been easy. I remember having times where uh, being transparent, sharing my testimony with people, even at a work, uh, a Christian workplace once. And I shared my story and my childhood and my upbringing and how I gave my life to Christ. And one person there was like, you know, I, I just want to repent to you because I just assumed you had it easy because you were white. And I thought, and now after real, hearing your story, I realized that I'm more privileged than you. And what was interesting in this, in this feedback is because it made me think about how often we just take people, we look at them, and we assume their story. We assume they must have had it easier, the re- and we use it as an excuse, don't we? Well, I would worship like that if I had an easy life. Well, they don't, sh- they don't have the same struggles I struggle with. If I was like them, of course I would worship, but I struggle with this. See, we, we really don't know 
the battles that people face, or especially the circumstances that people face. Worship is more about the condition of our heart rather than it is the condition of our circumstance. And it is only with a softened heart that we can find freedom within ourselves to freely worship God, to engage in unbridled worship. We have to really try to see God separate from our circumstances. When I think about the story of Job, it took me years to really understand this story. I'd read it over and over. I'm like, what the freak? <laughs> this is such a, like a confusing scene. And, and I'd even find it almost hard to articulate a response to defending God in this story. But what I've learned is that this story is showing a glimpse of our broken and chaos-filled world. Let us take a moment to remember that the world became broken the minute sin entered this world. That it was no longer a heavenly place. It became an earthly broken place filled with pain, filled with chaos, and it was just not perfect. And so we live in that world. And there are so many times where we experience hardship and pain and death and the unexpected, not because there's this grand plan to it, it was, you were predestined to go through it, but because our world is simply chaos and filled with pain and brokenness, living in, that, in, in this, this atmosphere, this, this reality, it is expected to experience some of that chaos, isn't it? We have to take a moment to realize that and that truly there's not always a plan for the pain you're going through. It's just pain that you're going through. But what God does promise in his word is that he can put a purpose to that pain. That's why we can go through something and look back and see how God used it to build us better. But it doesn't mean that he, he initiated every pain you went through on purpose. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And I want to end this point by saying this. It is an absolute choice to worship God. It's an absolute choice to only engage with God based on your feelings is a shallow and immature relationship. That's where a lot of us, when we first come to Christ, is because it feels good. That peace of God feels good. And once we start growing past that to where it's no longer about our, uh, we don't just feel good all the time. You remember when you first give your life to Christ, you just turn on the radio and it's a song that you just needed to hear. You're like, oh my God. I love this song. God is speaking to me right now. I remember, oh, I remember guys telling me like, man, it's like I never realized before that all these telephone poles look like crosses. Like God is all around us, bro. It's like, yeah, dude. <laughs> right on. And then those very same feelings that we have, they start to fade away. And we start to say like, well, I just don't feel the presence of God anymore. And so many times we leave church, we leave our prayer life, we leave reading the Bible because it just doesn't feel the same anymore. That's shallow. It's incredibly shallow. That's not how relationships work. Anyone that has been in a relationship, a strong relationship, knows that it takes a lot of work. That past the like initial honeymoon phase, it starts actually like getting nitty gritty. Like it gets 
hard and you actually have to go past just the butterflies you once felt at the beginning and get into real life stuff. That It's the same with God and our faith. It is a choice. And I urge you, if you were to, if you only were to engage in worship based on how you feel, you will not grow in your relationship with God. The moments that I catapulted forward in my worship are the moments that I was clenching my fist in anger during worship. I'm talking about uh, angry crying. Doing it because, worshiping not because I wanted to, because I know I needed to. And, and I would just feel this breakthrough within myself, a freedom within myself. And I urge you to go past that shallow stage of our faith and enter into a choice faith, a decision-based faith to where you know why you believe what you believe and you engage in worship, not because of the way you feel, but because you know that your heart needs to be softened and connected with God. Y'all dig what I'm saying? That's what Job did. It's a perfect example of real choice faith, not based on circumstances, but based off the choice of his heart to be softened. Our next point is the emotional battleground. The emotional battleground. Choosing to worship in hardship comes from a bloody battle inside the heart. Choosing to worship in hardship comes from a bloody battle inside the heart. While we read that Job simply fell to the ground in worship, it's easy to neglect the extreme emotions that he's facing with inside of himself. I, it took me years to just read that over and over to realize that just because it's saying he fell to the ground in worship doesn't mean he wasn't feeling everything that we would feel. Just two chapters after this, we see a glimpse of his agony, the agony inside of himself as he curses the day that he was born. He begs for death to take him. Oh, there we go. That's more, that's more sounds right. <laughs> that's where I would be. <laughs> Begging for death to take him. Cursing the day that he was born. Cursing the doctor that helped deliver him. I mean, talking about having so much bitterness and hatred inside of his heart. So much agony. And in a similar way, we should strive to confront our raw emotions with God like Job did rather than pretending that they don't exist. See, as I'm saying that Job chose to worship, he did not choose to pretend he was okay. He was very honest with his raw emotion. And when I think about how we've taught in church, it's just this pretending game. We, even the way that we pray is so pretty. But imagine prayer to where it's just so raw and you're sharing the, the emotions, the anger, the, the anxiety, the depression, even the, the parts where you, you're questioning God. Job questions God's plan the, all throughout this story. He's asking God, why is this happening? And all of the confusion, all of the doubt is within his prayers, within his talk. But we have made it so in church to where it's like, oh, you don't talk like that. No, don't just trust God. Keep that to yourself. Don't openly express your doubts. No wonder so many people leave the church after a couple years, after a couple months. 
We never get to address the real issues that we go through. And we pretend that we're living in this heavenly world when it's broken, when our lives are full of brokenness. I urge you to strive to confront those raw emotions with God rather than pretending that they don't exist. Job was authentic in his anger and his rage and his depression and his sadness. And he spoke like it. God desires a transparent and authentic heart. And that means not just our pretty side. Stop putting your best foot forward with God. He knows you. He knows you. Stop putting your best foot forward and just embrace who you are. God knew Job's heart. And all that he would, all that he would feel inside of this, God is omniscient. And, and yet when, he's, uh, when he talked to, to Satan, he <laughs> said, Have you considered my servant Job? That was with all this ugliness that was still in his heart. All this bitterness, all of this, this rage that would come out in the moments of agony. And he said, have you considered my servant Job? I want us to go into our last point, And that is being watched. Being watched. When you worship, even in anguish, you teach heaven and hell how to glorify God. When you worship, even in anguish, even in agony, you teach heaven and hell how to worship God. This passage gives us mysterious illustration of these eternal beings watching us and how we live on earth. Think about that for a moment. And we're being watched by my big brother, Archangel Gabriel and Michael and Satan himself. They're, just, they're able to just watch us. And the choice to worship God, even while in brokenness, stuck on earth, infected by evil. Think about this for a moment. The angels are in heaven. That's where we're working to go, right? That's where we want to go. We want to be where they're at. And as they're looking down on our pitiful earth, full of, full of evil, chaos, brokenness, government taxes... They see all the hell that we go through. And it shows the angels and the devils the most extravagant kind of worship because all they know is heaven. Think about this for a moment. Angels, they do not shed tears like humans do. That's why the Bible says that he collects all of our tears. That we, we experience sorrow to the point of tears like no other being. They do not lack like we do. You think an angel ever went hungry? Talk about like buffets, stacks on stacks. I mean, they probably have the best pancakes up there. We're here adding water to our stuff, burning it. They got heavenly manna pancakes just on, the, on, on speed dial. It's just always readily available to them. They don't lack. They do not suffer like we do. They do not experience cancer. They don't experience death. They don't experience disease. They don't need hope. Think about that for a moment. They don't need hope like we do. They don't even need prayers. 
That's why all they do in heaven is praise God because they have no need to pray. They have no need to ask God for anything. They do not suffer like we do. Yet Lucifer in his perfect world could not simply worship like we worship. For those of y'all who don't know, the, the prophetic background to Lucifer is that he was the angel of light in heaven leading worship for the billions of angels uh, to God and that he began to desire the worship for himself. Pride uh, grew in his heart and he desire, desired worship and he was so manipulative that he convinced a third of the angels to rebel against their creator and to, to be led by Lucifer himself and the Bible says that that rebellion was shot down as fast as lightning strikes the earth. And that, that is why they're banished to, to this earth, because they're not allowed to, to dwell in heaven. And they are waiting for judgment day. They're not in hell right now. They're waiting judgment day to be cast into hell. And so their whole plot, their whole plan is trying to take what God does, loves the most, his creation, mankind, and trying to take us with him. That's their whole scheme. And when the devil convinced Eve and Adam to sin and cause sin to enter the world, he thought that he totally uh, caught God off guard. But you know what God did? He, he convinced him, look, they disobeyed just like we did. Now you have to send them to hell too. Now you have to judge them too. And God created something so miraculous, he created forgiveness. Something that we are able to experience, but not even angels are. And that's why we have such a, a different kind of love and grace that no angelic being can experience. And in all of the perfection that he, uh, he had in heaven, he, he could not worship God. He chose not to worship God. Yet in all of our agony, in all of our anguish, in all of our lack, in all of our suffering, in all of all the things that we go through, we choose to worship our creator. And that is why our worship is far beyond greater and more glorifying to our creator because it does so by choice and in the midst of agony. You don't see how much more special that is. See, your worship, it just like Job, God uses Job as a living testimony of authentic powerful worship and in the same way your choice to worship shows the power and wonder of God to think that God had so much trust and, and believed in Job so much that he that he used him as an example to in angels and demons if you want to learn how to worship look at Job He's like giving a, a classroom study for all of heaven and using Job and showing the willpower of man to connect with their creator, even though there's this huge chasm between us and God. And he shows how special that worship, how authentic that worship is and uses Job as a testimony. To, to really solidify this idea of how we are being watched and that there is no one like you and how God uses you to show so much glory in heaven and your choice to worship. It says in Luke 15, 10, I don't have this on the screen, but it says, 
when Jesus is talking about one person coming to repentance, it says, In the same way I tell you there is a joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This scripture shows a glimpse of why does all of heaven rejoice at one sinner being brought to repentance? Because it shows so much glory to God that a, a sinner, a person here on earth stuck in this broken world, would choose to worship God even in the midst of all their suffering. And it amazes them. It glorifies God in such a unique and powerful way that nothing else can compare. And that's why they celebrate and rejoice altogether. Because even if just one person were to connect with God, all of heaven is amazed. In the same way, the moment that you chose to connect with God, all of heaven was in wonder because they saw you in your anguish. They saw you in your trauma. They saw you in your pain. And they knew that it was not an easy choice for you to connect with God. But you did. And that, that line that you walked shows so much glory to God. You are making so much more of a difference in eternity, in heaven, in earth, hell. You are making a difference by your worship. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. If you're in this room and maybe your heart is really just being tugged on and moved to have that first initial connection with Jesus. Maybe you just, you don't even know how to articulate it, but you just know that you want to get right with God right now. You know that he's calling you and all throughout this message you felt like it was affirming things that you've been through feeling maybe you've even felt like God didn't understand you and today you're realizing that God sees every part of your life and how how difficult it has been good bad ugly everything and you're realizing that you want to connect with this creator that knows you so well with every head bowed and eye closed I want you to just raise your hand if that's you amen so with everyone's head still bowed and eyes closed, if that is you, I want you to just pray to God. The Bible says in the book of Romans that, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he is, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he's the son of God who rose from the dead, that surely you shall be saved. What that's saying is that if you have an authentic heart, as you just acknowledge what Jesus did for you and make a decision saying, I want to walk with you. Repentance simply means to change directions. And when we repent, it's saying, God, I was walking this way, but now I don't walk this way with you. You can have that, that conversation with God to yourself. You don't need me to lead you through it. You don't need to repeat after me. You can have your own transparent, authentic conversation with God. Now, if you're here, and maybe this has been an affirming message to you about the meaning of your worship to God. Maybe you feel empowered in your worship. Maybe you even feel affirmed in the fact that God simply sees you, that you, he's not blind to you, he's not silent to you, that he simply sees you in what you're going through. And you just find this encouragement in the Holy Spirit today. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. So God, right now, I pray that you solidify every person's heart, that you truly, God, make this moment an experience that is not forgotten. That's not just a flutter of the heart, but that it's a moment where we connect with you in a real and tangible way and that we choose to engage in worship 
not because of our circumstances, but because we want to connect with you. We know that you are the, the creator of all things. And Lord, you are the ender of all things. You are the beginning and the end. And we just surrender that to you, knowing that no matter where we've started, we can finish ourselves in you. I thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. With all that being said, we're going to enter into a time of worship. Before we do, we're going to uh, end online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you all so much. Have a good life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.